Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 434 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find a wonderfully supportive writing community and writing courses. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of many, many books, but her latest one is The Wolf's Howl. How are you, Al? I'm okay, thanks, Valerie. Thanks for asking. <laughs> You're welcome. What's been happening in our world? Um, well, I have actually managed to get through the admin that was, you know, bringing me to fair to middling status last week. Um, and I have pressed forward. I have been doing some gardening because that always helps mm, my yeah. fair to middling state of mind. And mm. I have, yes, I have actually managed to write a few words, which is quite exciting. Excellent. Mm. Busy. That's good. Mm. Always busy. <laughs> Always busy. What about you, Always Valerie? Busy. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? Um, I have been, well, as you know, I've done a bit of rearranging, but now I have just rearranged all of my writing books. Uh-huh. In the spot that they're meant to go in. Because they were kind How many of in do a you temporary have? spot before. Um, well, the ones I have here, um, I don't know. I haven't counted. I actually said I was going to take a photo and post it in the group, but I never did because they were in so many different spots. Right. Um, but now they're a bit more – they're still not all in the same spot, but there are a lot more of them are. So I will now take the photo and I will now mm. post it. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's – and I've bit divided them up by grammar, by punctuation, reference books, words – interesting words kind of groups. Uh, wow. Books. Um, is that actually just an entire bookshelf then that you've yes, got Yes, it is practically, yes. Wow. Because um, I've got like a shelf, like a little section, a cube of writing books. I got rid of oh, a whole bunch when I moved. Um, yes. I actually just, you know, culled. And mm-hmm. so what's left is really only what I really wanted to keep. So mm-hmm. I do have – yeah, just like one sort of cubes worth of writing books these days. Oh yeah, I think I've got like the eight by no four by four cube thing, you know, from that everyone's got from IKEA. Mm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I think it's almost all full except for one cube because I wow. need that cube empty to reach the light switch. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't have that. I don't have the IKEA cube. I've got the mail sorting shelf from the old Kayama General Post Office. Oh, how lovely. How romantic. I mean, yeah, but it was in such well, it was in such bad shape it had to be painted, which is disappointing. But it is it's a pretty yeah, it's an unusually shaped it's not really even a cube, it's more of a rectangle. Well, interestingly, my dad got it because he was like back in the day, like we're talking a long time ago that he yeah. came home with this thing. Um, I might have, I think I was even still living at home. That's how long ago it was. And then when I moved, it kind of just went with me and I've ended up with this thing and I've had it for years and years and years and years. Um, wow. He had something to do with the refurbishment and they took all this mm-hmm. stuff out and said to him, do you want to take this shelf home with you? And he was like, yes, I have a house full of bookworms. I'll take the shelf. So I've Great. got the shelf. Yeah, it's cool. Winner, winner. Yours is Chicken a little dinner. bit more. Yeah, like yours has a bit more of a story behind it than Oh, mine. yeah, mine's <laughs> most, most of the things in my – most of the things in my house have have a story behind them of some kind. I'm not a generally a, an IKEA purchaser of furniture. Well, I'm not 
not proud of it. But, you know, no, no, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with it. Like I'm, I'm just saying, like it's just not what I, it's not what I'm drawn to. There are a couple of things that are just, you know, purely uniform and standard, um, because they're useful. And let's face it, IKEA is useful. Uh, but generally speaking, yeah. there's a bit more to it with me. Okay. Because you also have to remember the kind of house, the houses I've lived in. Yes. Like I've never lived in like this the my current house is the most modern house I have ever lived in and it was mm. uh built in 1999. Mm. But I came forward a hundred I came forward a century yeah, in my move. My so yes. all of my furniture has generally speaking been you know bought to go in old houses. So it's generally old furniture. Very nice. Hmm. There you go. Thank you. Sorry, you just yes. Picture Al and her old furniture. And my old right. furniture in my modern house. <laughs> we want to give a big shout out to Sue Bren, uh, who left us a review, a five star review called it Listener in Japan. Oh. Sue Bren. Hi, says, Sue. Yep. I've been listening to this podcast for a couple of years now. I really like the author interviews and always find something of interest, even if it's not my genre. It's also great to hear Australian accents and two people who obviously like each other having a good time. Oh, it's working, Val. The facade of liking each other is working. Our on-screen what? chemistry. <laughs> what prompted me to finally write a review was that I used the word of the week Navi in a short story this week and the sentence was the girls wore jeans and tank tops and were tattooed like a pair of navvies. There you ah! go. Awesome. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> yes, everyone's shocked. Don't worry. You get double points, Sue Bren. <laughs> <laughs> double brownie Thank you points so much. to Sue. Thank you for leaving us a review. And if any other listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app, we'd really be grateful because it helps other people find us and helps us in the rankings. Thank you so much. All right, let's move on to something you're involved with, Al. Well, yes, I'm an ambassador and so mm-hmm. I must ambassad, if that's the <laughs> – is that the verb to ambassador? Why not? Um, well, no, it's exciting because this podcast comes out on the day of Australian Reading Hour and I am an Australian Reads ambassador this year, which I'm very excited about, and uh, spreading the word about reading because, you know, gosh, that's just such a stretch for me, isn't it? Like if ever there was a natural fit right there. Um, and – So basically all you have to do if you're listening to this on Tuesday, the 14th of September, or in fact, let's face it, any day, because every day day is a good day to be Australian reading hour as far far as I'm concerned. Um, All you have to do is pick up a book, preferably an Australian book, Australian novel, uh, preferably The Wolf's Howl by A.L. Tate, like just putting out that suggestion. But any book, any book, um, any time of the day or night and read for an hour. You have a get out of jail free. You have a hall pass. This is your moment. Pick up a book and read for an hour. And you know you are doing it for Australia Reads. Go you. Fantastic. And you'll put the link in the show notes, won't you, Al? I will put the link in the show notes, but you will find uh, all the details about all of the things that Australia Reads is doing. And there are sort of like video things happening. There are online events. There's all manner of stuff. AustraliaReads.org.au 
forward slash Australian Reading Hour if you just want to be told that you can read for an hour or just go to the main website, australiareads.org.au to find out about all the excellent work that they are doing. Pick up a book any time of the day or night and read for an hour because Al said you could. Yes, love it. Absolutely love it. All right, so I want to give a shout out to a course that has been going gangbusters at the Australian Writers' Centre. The first two booked out within seconds, not quite seconds, but, you know, booked out very quickly. Um, And so we've had to add more dates and it is opinion writing. So it's all about having your opinion published in print and online because if you actually want to be paid to write an opinion piece it's got to be good. It can't just be a rant. And uh, this course by Vivian Pearson, uh, so the, the presenter is Vivian Pearson, is being conducted by Zoom. So it's three sessions over three weeks. Uh, and you get to, well, Vivian um, goes through all the material, talks through the course live. If you can't join live, you'll get a recording of the Zoom. Um, but make sure you check out the opinion writing course. Just go to the website at the Australian Writers' Centre um, and look at the special events tab, actually. There's lots of fantastic special events coming up. So you'll, if you go to writercenter.com.au, there's a button at the top of the page uh, that says special events. Click on it and you might find um, some other workshops and other special events that you'll find interesting as well. Hmm. But certainly if you're interested in seeing your opinion, now your opinion doesn't have to be about COVID or politics or, you know, Afghanistan or anything like that. It could be your opinion on how to deal with bullies at school or it, your, your opinion on whatever, right? Mm. Um, every opinion is valid, but it does need to be, if it's going to be written, it should be written in a way that's um, compelling, coherent and informed, mm. not just a rant and rave. Mm. But we show you how to do it in the opinion writing course. So check it out. Now, let's move on to our competition this week. Okay, this is really cool. We You're quite excited, aren't you? Yeah, you'll see right. why in a second. Okay, all right. Um, the, uh, we have three copies of the book The Cat Who Saved Books. Uh-huh, The Cat <laughs> Who Saved Books. What? By did, did Rocky write this? <laughs> no, Rocky didn't write it, but Sasuki Natsukawa wrote it. Bookish high school student Rintaro Natsuki is about to close the second-hand bookshop he inherited from his beloved grandfather. Then, a talking cat named Tiger appears with an unusual request. The cat needs Rintaro's help to save books that have been imprisoned, destroyed and unloved. Their mission sends this odd couple on an amazing journey where they enter different labyrinths to set books free. An enthralling tale of books first love, fantasy, and an unusual friendship with a talking cat. (laughs) The Cat Who Saved Books by Susuki Natsukawa, translated by Louise Hiokawai, is a story for those for whom books are so much more than words on paper. There you go. If you would like to win one of three copies of The Cat Who Saved Books, go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 20th of September. That's writercentre.com.au slash win. And if you're at that URL somewhere in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic competition there for you to enter. Now, Al. Yes. Are you ready for the word of the week? 
Well, I don't know if you're going to top last week's one, but, you know, you can give it a go. I think I can. I think I can. Really? Yes. Okay. Diapnosophist. Diapnosophist. Can you even say it? Yeah. D-E-I-P-N-O-S-O-P-H-I-S-T. Diapnosophist. Do you know what it is? No. Okay. So, <laughs> I don't. Well, it's a noun and it is a master of the art of dining, especially of conversation at the table. So it's from the title of a book by the Greek writer Athenaeus in the third century. And the name of the book is Diapnosophiste, you know, with the T-A-E at the end, about a series of dinners where learned men, men at the time, gathered and had discussions. And it also describes food and recipes. So it is sometimes referred to as the world's first cookbook. Mm. There you go. Mm. But you couldn't go on without knowing that fun fact. I don't even know what I'm going to do with myself now that I've got that bit of information. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone, try and use diagnosophist in a sentence this week. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murder course. All right, so let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Who have we got, Al? Oh, I had a fantastic chat with Amy Souter-Clark. Now, Amy is someone who has been part of the So You Want to Be a Writer community and the Australian Writer Centre community for um, a long time. I connected with her on Twitter years and years ago, just, you know, randomly as as one does. And um, it was very exciting when her novel, Girl 11, came out, her debut novel. And it came out, you know, internationally. It was US... Uh, UK, Australia, big release, and we had a terrific chat about how that happened. Amy Suda-Clark is a Melbourne-based author by way of a small town in Minnesota and London. Her debut novel, Girl 11, was published earlier this year by Mariner Books in the USA, text publishing in Australia, and other publishing houses all over the world. Welcome to the program, Amy. Thanks for having me, Alison. Now, you and I have been friends on Twitter, or I'm pretty sure it's Twitter, one of those places, for quite mm-hmm. a long time. We've been chatting, chatting, chatting. But, um, you know, and then I, so I've been able to watch the progression of, of your novel, you know, your announcement that it was coming and then, you know, the debut, etc. Um, but I don't really know how this exciting publishing adventure began. So let's talk about it. So your, your debut novel, Girl 11, launched all over the world around about May this year. How did it come to be published? Yeah, so I think I followed you probably a few years ago when I first started listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. 
um, which was a one of my favorite writing podcasts. Still is one of my favorite writing podcasts, although I'm woefully behind. (laughs) Um, But especially when I was really uh, just out of my MFA, which I did in London and had just moved over here to Australia in 2014, I was really hooked on the podcast just as an encouragement to keep on working on my writing. And I got my agent in 2015 through the manuscript that I developed during my MFA, But as it often goes, and hardly anybody seems to talk about, my manuscript that got me my agent did not get me a book deal. Mm. And so I ended up having to write another one. And that one also didn't sell. (laughs) And so after two manuscripts that didn't sell, obviously that was quite disheartening. But thankfully, my agent stuck with me. And I had had this idea for a serial killer whose victims were each a year younger than the last. And I hadn't been able to kind of develop a whole story around it. So I decided to work on that for my third novel. And that is what became Girl 11. So I worked on that for about two years and did a couple rounds of edits with my agent. And we went out on sub with it in September 2019. Or sorry, we went out with it in August 2019. And we sold it in September. So it sold super quickly um but after five years of trying to sell a book (laughs) okay so let's just go back a little bit on that those first two novels that you wrote that that you know were obviously like enough to spark an agent's interest but not enough to get quite over the line were they in a similar vibe were they like a were they also a crime genre type thing or were they quite different I think they skewed more literary, so they weren't firmly in the suspense thriller genre. Probably the second one was a little bit more so. Um, But yeah, the first one was much more literary suspense, and I think that was part of the problem, was that it just didn't... It was hard to find a spot on the shelf for it. It was Mm. hard to find comps, and unfortunately we know comps can be a really big deal when pitching a book... Not just to an editor, but for an editor to pitch the book to their house. So there were a couple of people, especially with my second manuscript, there were a couple of people that wanted to take it to acquisitions, but they couldn't get the support in-house because it was just too hard to sort of find a spot for it on the shelf. Okay, so Um, can you just explain just for, um, you know, new listeners, because obviously we're getting new listeners all the time, you know, what is a comp? How does that work in the publishing process? Yeah, so a comp is a comparison title. So generally, when you're pitching your book, you will usually try to find a couple of different popular titles in a similar genre that can help you say, you know, it's this meets this. Um, type of situation. So uh, the comps for Girl 11 that we often use are Silence of the Lambs meets Sadie, which was a really big YA thriller title a couple of years ago. And obviously everyone knows Silence of the Lambs, even though that kind of breaks the golden rule of using a current title or, you know, something within the last five years. Silence of the Lambs is a bit of an exception because everyone knows it, even if, even though it's whatever, 30 years old or something. So what do you think it was about this manuscript that held the key to publication? So obviously you were able to, to you know, pinpoint those comps, but what else do you think it was? Was it 
do you think it was the strength of the concept? Do you think it was the timing? What What do you think it was about this particular manuscript that got it over the line where the others hadn't? I think tapping into the obsession with true crime that is not really new, but a lot of people see it as like a new thing that's happened in the past seven to 10 years. I think that that helped a lot. And mm. obviously true crime podcasts are a really big deal for a lot of people, even though it's been done in books before, I hadn't seen very many thrillers where the main character was the podcast host. It was usually a secondary character that was hosting a podcast that the main character either listened to or was being impacted by in some negative way. Mm. And those were really good. I mean, you know, I loved some of those books that came out. Um, but I felt that I could have a little bit of a difference with having the main character actually be the host herself and seeing kind of two different sides of this character, the side that she presents publicly versus the side that is her normal everyday life mm. and how different, how different those things are. And it's not too dissimilar, I think, from being a writer. You get that <laughs> polished version of yourself that you put out there for the world and then the not so polished version that your friends and family see every day. So true. So I think that was a big part of the selling point. And I think just having a good hook, like have, being able to sum up a book in one sentence and get people's interest in it is is really powerful. It's not always possible, I don't think, even with some of the best books. But this book happened to be one that I felt I could sum up in one sentence, which makes Fantastic. it easier to sell. All right. Well, that seems like the perfect opening. Tell us all about Girl 11. Sum it up in one sentence or give us a paragraph. <laughs> I'll try for one sentence. Let's see how many commas that go into that sentence. <laughs> uh, so Girl 11 is about a true crime podcast host who is investigating the cold case of a serial killer in Minnesota whose victims were each a year younger than the last. But as she starts to put out episodes, new victims appear, and she wonders if she's brought him out of hiding. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. See right there. <laughs> Fantastic. So I really loved the podcast angle to this story because I do love a true crime podcast. Like I tend to binge them and then have to have an enormous break because I've listened to so many and it's, you know, it's, in, you know, they can't very dark. But I wondered yep. whether you'd actually considered doing the story as an actual podcast at all? Because, you know, like fiction podcasting is a thing as well. Hmm. Had you ever thought yeah, of that? Yeah, it is. Um, I hadn't thought about it, actually. I I love writing and I love writing novels. And so that was always kind of the way for me. And actually, this book wasn't a podcast book when I first wrote the idea. Elle was actually just a normal detective. Oh. And that was one of the things about the book that didn't work when I was going through edits with my agent because the, you know, as it kind of unfolds through the book, there's a lot of history in Elle that makes this case very personal to her in a way that would not be acceptable if she was actually investigating it professionally. Mm. And so it made a lot more sense for her to be an amateur investigator and, so when, yeah, so I wrote a full draft of this book and sent it to my agent with Elle as a detective. And one of the things that we workshopped after that point was 
changing it. And I had had the idea, well, what if she was a podcast host? And that just kind of clicked and felt right and made the story go in a kind of new and exciting direction. So I think by that point, I was still, I was very sold on it being a novel. Um, But one of the lovely things about that is that they've turned it into an incredible audiobook and they've produced the transcripts as actual podcast episodes. So you have multiple voices and music and sound effects and that sort of thing. So I feel like I've kind of got the best of both yeah, worlds there. Yeah, you do, don't you? That's fantastic. So what sort of research did you do? Because I did feel as though I was watching a podcast unfold. So getting that process right for how a podcast works must have been important. Yeah, I think in terms of getting the podcast flow and sound and all that sort of stuff right, I think the research was just multiple years of obsessively listening to true crime podcasts. Mm. I just kind of knew um, the way that the narratives are structured and how different hosts go about them. There's a lot of parallels even between podcasts that have you know, different production companies behind them and different journals or that sort of thing. Um, but there were a couple of podcasts that I drew a lot of inspiration from in terms of how they're structured narratively. Uh, which and ones the were research- they? Oh, yes. Um, so Someone Knows Something is oh, a yeah. big one. Yep. And I always mention that because I feel like I owe David Ridgen a little bit of the voice of this book, (laughs) even though um, Elle is not an investigative journalist like he is. Um, His podcast is produced just so gorgeously, and I can't recommend it enough to Mm. people. And In the Dark is another one that I really love, Mm. Um, Mm. Madeline Barron. And they're both actually journalists. They're not amateurs. Um, But I do listen to a couple of podcasts as well that have more amateur you know armchair detective type of investigators so and what are your are faves in that area well. uh so one of my longtime favorites is truth and justice with bob ruff i'm a bit behind on that one i'm a bit behind on all of my podcasts to be honest because without <laughs> me too commute, i'm making notes here <laughs> <laughs> yeah without being able to commute and have that time in the car where I can, you know, where all I can do is listen to a podcast. Yeah. Um, I've definitely dropped off on a few that I I really love. Uh, Another one is Undisclosed. And um, I would still call those amateur investigators, even though the three of them are lawyers. They're not investigative lawyers. They're, you know, trial and evidence and professional type of lawyers. So the investigation they've done is genuinely just learning their skills on the fly like any of us would probably have to. They just happen to have a lot of legal knowledge about what the options are for the people that they're investigating because they look into wrongful conviction cases. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's some good listening tips for everyone out there who might be interested in a true crime podcast. Now, when you're writing a novel like this, you are dealing with some really difficult scenes. Do you have to steel yourself to write those? I don't generally think that I steel myself. I often write a scene, like I sit down and write a scene without realizing that's the scene I'm going to write. It kind of just flows. That doesn't happen as much now because I think I've become a little bit more regimented in my outlining. But sometimes I might just have a general, like, X character goes to talk to 
X character about this case. Yeah. And I don't really know what's going to happen until I'm actually writing that scene. Um, there are a couple of scenes in Girl 11 that were really difficult to write. And there's a couple scenes that I wrote that I ended up taking out. And I don't regret that at all. I think one of the things I really wanted to do with this book is not focus on gratuitous violence or yeah. violence on the page. Yeah. I think it's just as effective to be able to discuss what happens to a person rather than actually as a reader having to experience it happening to them. Yeah. And especially considering that half the victims in this book are children, it's yeah. really not something I wanted to uh, go into detail about. And so if you do, as a reader, if you see a content warning about there being violence against children in this book, it is very much off the page and that was intentional. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess these are choices you have to make as the, as the writer in, in this sort of area, isn't it? And, and it's interesting as someone who reads a lot of crime fiction um, to see the different choices that different authors make as they kind of like, you know, go through their careers and as, as their kind of characters develop and change. And because um, there are some authors that I really enjoyed reading their earlier work and then I have really stepped away from because I have found as they've gone on that they've that barrier has actually become less you know it's like they've kind of walked through to the other side and gone well let's just put it all out there um yeah so I guess with each I book you write agree. yeah <laughs> I think with each book you write you have to make that choice as you go as to what's going to serve the story best don't you and the character absolutely and one of the things that is really a theme of this book is focusing on the victims of crimes versus focusing on the perpetrators mm. and I think when you focus on the violent or terrible things that the perpetrator does, that's just as much a focus on them as it as if you were talking about them specifically, if that makes sense. No, it does. And it's an interesting point you raised because, um, as I said, I do listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and my favourite ones are the ones that never lose sight of the victim. You know, sometimes mm. the, the story can be so engrossing uh, in the perpetrator's role in it that, um, you know, sometimes it feels like, oh, well, you know, like I'm hearing an awful lot about that particular person um, and the victim has almost disappeared, you know, in the story, whereas my favourites are the ones where we never lose sight of that and that is something that I is a theme in your in your book as well, which I think is, is great. Um, now, with regards to the, <laughs> yeah, just I'll just put that out there. Um, with regards to the writing process uh, for the book, you, you kind of hinted at a little bit where you have a bit of an outline and then you're not entirely certain what's going to happen. Did you know where this was going to end up when you started writing that first draft? I mean, I know that you said that um, the main character changed from a detective to, to a podcast host, but the actual plot and the perpetrator and how that was going to unfold. Did you know what was going to happen there? No, not mm. really. I think, I think from memory, I wrote about the first half and then I kind of went back and outlined what I had written so far and how that matches up with sort of normal story beats in the genre. And then I kind of went from there but I always like to give myself a lot of flexibility to change things. And so I try not to give, try not to be too specific 
when I do outline about what every single scene is going to look like, sometimes it's like connect the dots a bit. Mm. Like I, you know, there are different plot points along the way or different scenes along the way between the two dots that I've written. But uh, so I might write, you know, the twist, the twist at one third of the way through, but I haven't written all the scenes that are going to happen up until that point. So you just kind of go by instinct a little bit to say what would lead to this happening. And I think that's much more how I approached this book. Okay. And there was there were a lot of differences in the end between the outline that I had written as loose as it was and the final product. So in that sense, like when you're when you're sort of working through a story like that, is there a lot of editing and drafting work to create the final product? Did you have to write multiple drafts of the story? Yes, <laughs> yeah. that is one drawback. But the thing, the thing for me is, uh, when I write an outline, I have tried, um, actually, with my second book, to write a very specific scene by scene outline, and it just kind of kills it for me. Like it just kills the excitement and the. Yeah, I can relate. You know, it's really <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think I remember you saying that before. <laughs> um, it's really nice to be able to sit down and know what you need to write that day. But then at the same time, if there's no mystery in it for me, I find it really hard to inject the mystery for the reader. Mm. And so even with my second book, I've actually, the outline that I gave my editor and my agent doesn't have a resolution to the climax because I actually don't know what the resolution is going to be. (laughs) So I've written up and put her in this impossible situation. And then I've said, I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. And they go, okay. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, all right, then good luck. But I think, you know, I love reading books where the odds feel impossible for the main character at the climax. Yeah. And I don't know how you accomplish that if you know, as the author, what they're how they're going to get out of it. It's almost like you would have to write them a way out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it sort of feels like telegraphing what that would be. Other I'm sure other very talented authors are capable of doing that, but I'm not one of them. No, I understand. Did you also then have to edit it differently for different territories? Did you have that situation or has it pretty much appeared in each territory in the same form? I didn't. The only change that I made for territory was um, L's name is changed to Elena in Spanish. Oh yeah. Because L is obviously like the word the in oh, right. Spanish. Yeah. And that was actually a bit of a joke that got taken out of the of the book in in the drafts. Um, her her name is El Castillo, which castle is Castillo is castle in Spanish. And so Sam, for a draft, called her castle instead of L because her name literally means the castle. <laughs> um, but I just thought that was kind of like it was funny to me, but probably not funny to most people. <laughs> um, and that was when she and Sam had a much friendlier relationship than they do at the start um, in the in the final product. Mm. Um, so it just didn't seem like a very nicknamey type of relationship. That would be very authentic. So anyway, so that's the only change I've had to make for a territory. I was kind of surprised because I thought, you know, language might, word choices might be changed for like the UK and Australia. But as far as I know, they weren't. No, okay. That's great. So um, you work in a university library, so you have a day job. How did you write the novel around that? I do. So 
luckily, the job that I have in the university library is incredibly flexible and my manager is very supportive. So I was able to take off time when I wanted to really hammer down on an edit. For example, I could take off a few days to give myself an extra long weekend or that sort of thing. Yeah. And that was perfectly fine to be able to do with quite little notice, which was really nice. Um, I have dropped down to part-time at that job, but I only dropped down to part-time uh, about six months after I got my book deal. So that didn't really impact my ability to write Girl 11, but it's definitely helped with my writing of my next book. Yeah. Um, okay. But I did definitely do a lot of writing while working full-time at that job and my prior job. And a, a really big part of it was just every night sitting at the computer, even if it was just for 45 minutes. Yeah. I can write pretty quickly when I when I know what I'm going to write. So I'm usually, you know, capable of getting a thousand words down in a half hour, 45 minutes. Um, so I did that. And then I did a couple NaNoWriMo's as well, just of really dedicatedly yeah. sitting down every single day. Because I'm not one of those people that thinks you absolutely have to write every day to be a writer. No. But, and I think that's an impossible standard for a lot of people. Yeah. But there were certain times that I really tried to do that just to be able to get, get the flow of a story and get the draft down as quickly as possible. Yeah. Now your agent is actually based in the U S was that a deliberate choice for you? Like, why did you go that way instead of, you know, say getting an Australian agent? My books are set in the U S obviously yeah. if you can't tell from my accent, people, <laughs> that's where I'm from. <laughs> Hence the small town um, in Minnesota. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I knew I wanted my books to be published in the U.S. and I wanted that to be the, the primary market for yeah. my books. Yeah. And so it made sense to me to seek representation from a U.S.-based agent. And also when I was looking for an agent, we didn't know we would be staying in Australia long term. Oh, okay. There was still a possibility that we might move back to the U.S. That seems less likely now, but at the time that was very much on the table. It was kind of a 50% chance that we might move. My husband's Australian. That's why we uh, okay. moved here originally. Um, but yeah, so that was, there were co kind of a couple of reasons for that. But the primary reason was, like I said, that I really wanted to be published in the U.S. And in the U.S., you really can't get published without an agent. No. So th that was the purpose of uh, seeking representation there. So what sorts of things have you been doing to promote the novel in all of your various territories? Like I'm assuming you were expecting, you know, in the in the due course of things that you would go to the US for promotion, which obviously hasn't been able to happen. Um, so how have you pivoted? Like what kind of stuff are you actually doing? Yeah, it was obviously really disappointing not mm, to be able to go yeah. to the US for the launch, even though obviously completely understandable and not something that thousands of other people haven't also experienced in the last no, that's 18 right. months. Yeah. Um, so that was the original plan was to go back, but I was able to do a virtual launch with Wendy Walker, which was amazing. She's been incredibly supportive. Um, for those who don't know, she's a really a popular thriller author in the U S and I did a couple of social media live events with different people uh, with a bookstore in Minnesota and that sort of thing. 
And then I wrote quite a few articles on spec for different journals and websites and stuff to try to get my name out there yeah. and write about the topics that are sort of thematically relevant to the book. Um, the UK, my publishers set me up on a blog tour in August with several book bloggers, which has been great. And I know in the US, they sent out ARCs to different bookstagram people. Oh, yeah. Actually, not ARCs. We didn't get printed ARCs. That was another part of the pandemic <laughs> that oh. changed things for me in the US. But um, they did digital ARCs and giveaways through Goodreads and that sort of thing. But then they also sent out final copies to a few really popular bookstagram accounts um, in the weeks leading up to the release. So that helped as well. Great. Um, is anything, I mean, you know, it's been an unusual time to be a debut author, but has anything surprised you about the publishing process as you have gone through the various stages of it? I think the biggest thing, and people warn you about this, but it's never really real until it's happening to you, you know? The biggest thing is just how quiet it is after your book comes out, you know, <laughs> like you might get you might get tagged once a day if you're lucky, one, a couple times a week, more likely on social media with someone saying they're reading your book or they read your book and they loved it, that kind of thing, which is always lovely to see. Um, but I suppose unless you've written like a very buzzy, popular book that's got multiple stages of publicity and that sort of thing. It really tends to quiet down about three weeks after yeah. the book comes out, or at least it did for me. And I've certainly seen other friends in my debut group kind of go through the same thing. And it's hard to know what to post, like as an author on social media. Like most of my content in the lead up to publication was about my book, obviously. And now I'm more back to posting on Instagram and stuff about my everyday life, you know, pictures of my dogs and what book <laughs> I'm reading and that sort of stuff. They are gorgeous dogs. You kind dogs. of feel occasionally like you need to sort of put your hand up and go, and by the way, I wrote a book and it's out in case anyone's interested. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess that, I mean, I posted when my own book released um, recently I posted, I, I made my first reel or one of my first reels about mm. the experience of what it feels like. And I think um, it is something that does take a lot of authors by surprise. And But it is also the reason, you know, that we talk so much about, you know, making sure that you've got that platform in place so that you can continue the conversation about your book in some way, shape or form um, as, as it's sort of like that process goes on because you do get that couple of weeks of hooray and then mm -hmm. you know and then it's up to you isn't it from that point onwards yeah it really does feel like the onus is just on you from that point to to keep things going as they say yeah well and to write <laughs> um, your next book right <laughs> yeah yeah and obviously you've talked a lot on this podcast about not being over overly self-promotional on social media. So finding that balance between, you know, mentioning your book or trying to think of creative ways to promote yourself without just being like, buy my book. Um, yeah. That's really tricky. But even the creative posts are still promotional posts and people still view them that way, you know, so you still want to have that good mixture of giving versus taking from yeah, people. Yeah, you do. But you in also your social media. That's also something that becomes as you become 
you're more experienced with it, you know, when your next book comes out and you get, you, you, you find it easier with that balance and you don't feel quite as cringy about mm. that promotion stuff because, you know, it's what you do. It's part of your job. It's, it's part of the process. Um, and so finding that balance does become um, easier as, as you go on with more books. Um, so on the subject of more books, uh What's what happens next? Like, where where are we at with the next Amy Suda Clark, you know, bestseller? <laughs> um, so, as I said, I'm working on my second book now. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only writer who has found 2021 somehow even more difficult than 2020, I think, in yeah. some ways. Yeah. I think probably because there was a little bit of an expectation that things would be better by now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I actually wrote the first draft of my second book, which is not, it, it's a standalone book. It's not a sequel to Girl 11. Okay. Uh, I wrote the first draft of that in six months last year. Okay. And that was the fastest I've ever written a first draft. And, you know, it was hefty. It was like 120,000 words. So it wasn't short by any means, but um my editor wanted pretty significant changes and basically that involves a complete rewrite yep. because um, taking out half of the plot, <laughs> there were kind of two dual plots that sort of worked, you know, wound yep. together at the end. And if you take one of them out, the other one just kind of falls apart. So I've been rewriting that for the past four months or so. And it's just been a really hard slog, even though I know that this is a better direction for the book. And I know I'm going to be much happier with it than I was with the previous draft. Uh, I think having going in and out of lockdown, still being in a pandemic, all of that sort of stuff kind of piles on top of you a little bit. Yeah, it does. So I've needed a couple extensions, which as my, you know, author friend who's a few books ahead of me in her career continually says they can't publish a book that isn't written so <laughs> you, you can ask for an extension if you need one they don't really have much choice no that's just a right. little secret for yeah. other authors out there <laughs> so true um, sorry editors for doing this to you um yeah so just honestly it's just been really str a struggle to get the book written the way that I want it um so hopefully late next year um, is when it will come out. We will see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We'll be looking forward yes. to it. Um, Thank you. Now, you've done some courses with the Australian Writers' Centre as you've kind of gone through the process of, of leading up to your day today, Boo Novel. Uh, which ones did you do and what was the biggest takeaway for you from the experience? Because you've also done an MFA, so you, you know, you've, you've done some stuff. I have done some stuff. I think the first course I did was the copywriting essentials. Oh, yeah. And that was, I had just gotten a job as a copywriter. And that was my real, like, first professional office job. I'd previously, you know, during my undergraduate and while studying my MFA, had only worked food service and um, customer service type of jobs. Yep. So I knew I had the skills to do the copywriting job but I wanted to make sure that I had the essentials the tools yeah. to be able to um, you know to back up the things that I instinctually kind of felt were the right way to go in terms of writing yeah. for this company so 
I did that one that was incredibly useful and I still have screenshots and notes that I took from that that's from why that you session. can I think it was on demand yeah that's why you can write one sentence summaries of your yes. book right <laughs> although it's so much harder to summarize your own work than <laughs> it, it really is, is to summarize someone else's I totally agree yeah um and I think I did the build your author platform one oh yeah a few years back which was really great and I think you taught that one, didn't you? I did, and that's uh, maybe that that's not, why we that connected. Was not me sucking up. It really was a great, <laughs> great course. <laughs> I will hear nothing less. <laughs> and then Candace Fox is oh, yeah. one of my favorite authors in Australia, and a, what I would consider a good friend on social media. And she actually blurbed my book, which was incredible. Um, so I took her course on how to write about murder I yeah think. it is and it's such a great course isn't it yeah it was really good and Just she's very hilarious practical. <laughs> she is so funny so I funny. I went to a sisters in crime event with her a few years ago that was the first time I actually met her in person and I just remember like the whole room was just howling with laughter every time she talked oh, <laughs> it was yeah. so unexpected yeah yeah um, we had her at our, our murder and she, yeah, our very first live event that we had, uh, Candice was one of our special guests for that, and we were like, we were all just in hysterics. Like, I was, we were yeah. trying to run a, pa- Valerie and I are trying to run a panel and just unable to get our jaws off the floor. <laughs> yeah, so She's take so away funny. from, yeah, yeah, take away from that. If you get an opportunity to see Candice Fox speak publicly, go because it's really worth the price of admission. All it right, totally is. So um, let's. It's been lovely chatting to you today, Amy. I, I, I really enjoyed the book. I am someone who does love a great crime story, and I think you've written a great crime story. I loved the podcast aspect of it. I feel like you just summed up a whole bunch of things that I really like, all in one, all in one, um, one novel. There, like the serial killer thing. I like. I'm, I don't love serial killers, but I, I do <laughs> do enjoy a really good strong plot. Um, so we're going to sum up today just with our top three or your actual, not our, your top three writing tips for aspiring authors. So what have you got for us, Amy? So I think it's really important to explore different types of story. Mm. So there's a lot of um, craft books out there, but a lot of craft books are written by people with the same experience. And Mm. um, one of the things I try to do is especially with my reading is to make sure that I'm reading books by written by people who aren't from Western cultures, because there's different storytelling techniques that are not, you know, the quote unquote right way to write a story according to the craft novels that are absolutely incredible and so unpredictable because you're not used to reading stories told in that format. Um, so I think that that's really important and powerful work to do as an author from a craft perspective is to explore that. And there are, um, craft novels written by authors of color as well, which I definitely recommend. And I'm saying this, I recommend it and I'm blanking on the name of the craft book. (laughs) It's always the way. Of Of course. Um, but as much as you can try to explore craft novels, or sorry, craft books and novels written by authors of color, particularly authors of color um, from different countries, because it's such an education and it's enriching as well mm. as an experience 
um, as a reader. So that's number one. Yep. I think, as I said, I don't think that you need to write every day to be a writer. And um, I think that that's actually not a possibility for a lot of people. Um, But if you can, when you're in the flow of a story, to try to set aside time to work on that, even if it is just for a few minutes every day um, to keep the flow going, I definitely recommend doing that at periods throughout your writing process because it does kind of help keep that train of thought going, even if it is just five to ten minutes. You'd be surprised how much you can get down in that Mm. time, especially if you're really devoted to it. Yep. And then the third piece of writing advice is to only take writing advice that works for you (laughs) because (laughs) I think – A lot of people think that their rules for writing are the, again, the right way of doing things. And it's really just what works for them. Yeah. So as much as there's incredible writing advice out there, not everything is for every person. So So find the stuff that works for you and feel free to throw away the rest. You're still a real writer if you write. That's all that matters. Fantastic. All right, Amy, thank you so much for um, joining us today on the podcast. Where can people find your you and your work? Well, thank you so much for having me. As I said, I've been a fan of this podcast for a long time, so it's really fun to be actually on it and doing an <laughs> interview. It's something I really dreamed about for years. Um, I am at a Suter Clark on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, but I haven't posted a video in months. And I am also at asuterclark.com for my website so you can find out more about girl 11 there so Clark, the newsletter suda clark just for spelling is s-u-i-t-e-r-c-l-a-r-k no e on the end that's correct there is an e at, there at is the an end. e on the end that's me a sneaky e there's a sneaky e i'm just double checking <laughs> that i'm glad i double checked so s-u-i-t-e-r-c-l-a-r-k-e all right Thank you so much. Best of luck with Girl 11 and best of luck with the second novel as well. Thank you so much, Alison. All right. Awesome chat with Amy Souter-Clark. Love it, love it, love it. All right. So, Al, what are you doing in the coming week? Oh, look, I just think more of the same. You know what? I think I might just make it Australian Reading Week for Al. Maybe I'll just give myself, you know, at least an hour a day to kind of catch up on various things. I've actually got a little stack. I've got this little stack of books that I have, you know, uh, some of them, in fact, most of them I've actually bought. And then there's a couple that have also been sent to me as part of my various, you know, reviewing, podcasting, you know, sort of journeys. And mm. they've, I've put them aside because they're all of a particular type and they are kind of in the realm of the sort of thing that I want to write next. Um, and so I've got them aside to read them and I just have not got to the – like the pile is getting bigger and bigger oh, and bigger and Al's, you know, reading is has not kept up, let's just say. Mm. So I I might actually make it Australian Reading Week for Al and I might just get into that stack of books and actually get some of the reading done that I need to do. Um, what about you? What are you going to be doing? That's actually really inspiring because when I was doing my bookshelf rearrangement, I discovered these books. There's a certain, um, you know – stash of books that move with you from house to house for years mm, for years but they but they are not just the reference books which i completely understand they are the 
the to-be-read books, but that you obviously really want to read them, but you don't really want to read them enough to read them. <laughs> I know. And what is that all about? Is that just simply that some other bright, shiny new thing comes along that you want to read? Is it yeah, because you're you just do, not quite in the mood? You're not quite in the mood for that book at that time. So, you know, I, it's a, it's an interesting thing that we that we do like acquire mm. books. Like we buy these books. We are fully intending to read them. And yep. yet they sit there, you know, just desperately looking at, yeah, giving us puppy eyes, saying, come exactly. over here. It's our turn. So exactly. I think I might give in to the puppy eyes and actually read them. Yep, absolutely. Mm. You and me both. Okay. Okay, All right. let's do so, it. So, Al, where do we find you online? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo on Twitter and Instagram, that's K-H-O-O, and also at ValerieKoo.com. But make sure you join both Al and I in the listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join on Facebook. Uh, we'd love to have you in there and um, we hang out there all the time. Thanks for we listening, would. everyone. And we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.